Matthew 2, 2. Saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Matthew 2, 8. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. Matthew 8, 2. And behold, a leper came and worshiped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Matthew 9, 18. While I spoke, he spoke these things to them. Behold, a ruler came and worshipped him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. Matthew fourteen thirty three. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Matthew fifteen twenty five. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. Matthew 18, 26, the servant fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. He was worshiping. Matthew 20, 20, then the mother of Zebedee's son came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. She was worshiping. Matthew 28, 9, and as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them saying, Rejoice. So they have come and held him by the feet and worshiped him. Jeffrey asked me to talk about what worship is and, and why we do it. And I got to tell you, at first, I thought, well, that's easy. I've been worshiping for a long time. But it's, it's interesting when you, when you start digging into something and the Lord starts showing you all the things that you really don't know and guys you really don't know and I, I really don't either you know um, God has so much to show us but we we have to dig in his word and we have to see and you know if we seek wisdom and knowledge he, he's faithful to give it to us so what is worship when you think of worship I think most of us think of the, the things that you know, we think of worship music, we think of uh, prayer, right? We think of going to church, right? And all of these things can be worship, but at the same time, all of these things may not be worship. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that. But what is worship? I looked up a bunch of different definitions and ideas of, of what worship is, and I want you to listen to some of these. Of course, Music, prayer, church, honoring God for whom he is, praising the Lord, thanksgiving to the Lord, attributing reverent honor and homage to God. And that word homage really means publicly showing honor or respect for something. Declaring the greatness of something or someone to adore something, reverence with supreme respect. I like this one here, giving up your own glory and placing it on something or someone else. Acknowledging the greatness of God both publicly and privately, and I think this is so important, publicly and privately. So many people 
will publicly worship the Lord and praise the Lord, and yet privately when they're alone, in secret, they fail miserably. But there's a flip side of the coin to that. There's many people who privately worship the Lord, and they talk to God a lot. But then they get in the world, they get amongst their peers, they get tempted, and they fail miserably. Publicly and privately, acknowledging the greatness of God. Exalting God because he is worthy. The awesome thing about God is he doesn't need you to tell him he's worthy. He doesn't need you to he doesn't need you to agree with him to make him worthy. He already is whether you think he is or not. Ignorance is not innocence. Have you guys ever heard that? Just because you don't know something doesn't make it true or not true. Searching for wisdom, searching for truth, obedience, living out the gospel. Because in doing these things, we are essentially praising the Lord because we're doing the very things that he desires of us. Right? Um, I've got a wise friend. He's an older guy. And I went around and I asked uh, a couple people, give me your definition of worship in, in one sentence. And I heard some pretty good ones, but I, I think the one I liked the most was from, from this guy. He's an older guy. He works with the little kids. And a lot of times, like, guys like that, they just know how to put it plainly. But he said, praising the Lord because he's awesome. And believing it, there's the catch, right? Understanding and loving God because of who he is. Hosea 6.6 says, For I desire mercy. The, that's in the King James. The NASB uses the word loyalty there. For I desire loyalty. I, I like that. And not sacrifice. And the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. Isaiah 111 says, To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I have had enough of your burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls. 1 Samuel 15.22 says, So Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey obedience is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. And lastly, Proverbs 21.3, it says, To do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. So why are we going to talk about these things? Well, sacrifice in the Old Testament, of course, was their form of worship. It's, it was commonplace. It was that, what they were commanded to do, right? 
it's, a, you know, it's the worship music of today, so to speak. Now, we all know that sacrifice was made, and it was pointing to Christ. It was pointing to Christ. The Old Testament always did point to Christ and understanding that one day he would come and be the perfect sacrifice and die for us. So if God commanded these people to sacrifice and offer burnt offerings, why on earth would he continue to say you shouldn't do that? Well, really it's about the heart, and it was always about the heart, right? What does God desire? He doesn't desire your works, guys. You're not saved by your works. You will never be able to work your way to salvation. And this is key to understanding the gospel. The law is works. You can't ever attain the law. You will fail every time. And the law point, simply points you to the fact that you are in desperate need of a Savior. So work, sacrifice. What does God desire? He doesn't desire works. He desires the heart. What does it say? He desires loyalty. He desires obedience. He desires us to heed. He desires us to do righteousness and justice. Psalms 51, 14 I love this one. It says, The sacrifices of God are a broken and contrite heart. A broken heart. A humble spirit. That's what God desires from you. It's for you to come to the place to understand who He is. And really, that's what worship is. It's understanding who you are not and who He is. I've got a great example to share with you. You know, what is worship? What does it look like? And like I said at the beginning, worship might be the things that we think about, but it also might not be those things at the same time. I can be sitting in service, right, on a Sunday morning. And um, I'm sure a lot of you can attest to this, but I'm, I'm a squirrel. And like the, the, some, the worst place for me a lot of times when I'm trying to draw close to the Lord is to be with a lot of people because I can be sitting in service and I'm surrounded by all these people doing different things and all I can do is get distracted, right? So we can be singing a worship song, right? And if, if you were to watch me and look at me, I'm singing the worship song, but I'm thinking about whatever. I'm thinking about work or I'm thinking about the the guy next to me. The other day we were in church, and there was, it was like a sing-off. There was one woman screaming in front of me, trying to sing louder, and then the guy behind me was singing louder than that, and it was like a competition. Even the husband looked at the wife like, what on earth are you doing? So if you saw me at that moment in time, you would say to yourself, well, he's worshiping. He's praising the Lord. When in reality, I wasn't worshiping at all. My heart wasn't, it wasn't there. But the other side of the deal is maybe I'm a carpenter, right? So maybe on a, I'm a, on the roof swinging a hammer. And maybe I'm pounding away at nails and I'm thinking about maybe something I heard or something I read in the Bible or maybe I'm humming a worship song in my head. 
And again, if you were to look at me from the ground, you would say, well, that guy's working. He's not worshiping. No. Worship originates from the heart. It doesn't matter where you are, what you're doing. I had a great conversation with a, a, a pastor. He used to pastor. Um, now he's a part of our church, and we were talking the other day about something, him and me and another guy, and we were talking about something in the Bible. I can't even remember what it was, but, you know, he, he said later, he said, you know, when we get, when we look back on our lives, these are the things that matter. That conversation mattered. That conversation was worship. We were honoring the, the Lord. And those are the things that aren't going to burn up. Turn with me to Acts 17. And we're really going to start, and I've got to, I want to respect your guys' time. But I got a couple of uh, places I'd like to go in the Bible and look at to look and see what this, this worship is. What is this worship? What is it? Why do we do it? So Acts 17, I'll give you a little backstory so we don't have to read the whole thing. But Paul is going around and he's, he's on another one of his mission journeys and he's preaching the gospel to various places, right? And he's come to, he's come to Athens. And Athens is... It's this place, it's like the, the center of higher thinking, all right? It's where the latest and greatest ideas were coming from. Um, philosophers like Aristotle and Socrates and Plato, all those guys came from, from there, okay? They were the, the great thinkers. I heard somebody say it was great. All those guys asked the right questions but they never found the right conclusions. So here Paul is, as he's come to this place, and I, I do want to hit a couple verses. Verse 16 it says, Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw the city was given over to idols. And scoot on down to um, verse 21. It says, For all the Athenians and foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or hear something new. They're looking for the latest and greatest thing, and they're surrounded by idols. i got to tell you, that's not much different than where we live today. So let's read, starting in 22, and I'm going to read it, and I'm going to come back and grab some of this stuff. It says, Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I have perceived that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship, without knowing him I proclaim to you, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with man's hands as though he needed anything. Since he gives life to all, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth, and has determined their pre appointed times 
and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said. For we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, while others said, we will hear you on this matter, again on this matter. So Paul departed from among them. However, some men joined him and believed. Among them were that name, their Areopagite, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. So go back to 22. So Paul's in this place called the, Are- the Areopagus, and it's basically, it's like the, the center of uh, religious debate and um, government debate. All the philosophers are there, and they've brought Paul there because they want to hear. You know, Paul's been preaching about Christ, and they want to hear about it. They want to know, what's this new thing? We've never heard this before. And he says, men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. And that's a, that word there literally means to be in fear of God. And I really don't like that word very much. I have uh, family who would call me religious. And um, Christianity, yes, it is a religion, but it's not religion it's a it is a relationship i mean you guys hear that all the time but think about that religion is uh again is works it's doing whatever to obtain favor from god religion will never save you christ the blood of Christ will save you, but not religion. Nothing you do. All, all Jesus, everything he does. It says, For I was, I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar to this inscription to the unknown God. So in Athens, they worshipped. They had a God for everything. They had all these different gods, but they were so afraid that they might miss some god somewhere that all over Athens they had statues and monuments and altars to, un, to the unknown god, right? They were trying to cover their rears. They wanted to make sure that we better make sure we, got, we get everybody in here. And that's interesting, and I, I do want to tell you that is very similar to our culture. It's very similar to, I believe, the mainstream church. We are worshiping a God that we do not know. 
There are people who go to church. There are those of you who go, and, and this is just the reality. There are those of you in here who don't believe. There are those of you here who uh, think that you can be good enough for God to love you. There are those of you in here who do the Sunday morning thing because, and, and look, I understand because I, I was there. Like, I was there at your age. I did it because I should. I did it because um, I wanted to be a, a good citizen. I did it because my mom did, you know. For all the seemingly right reasons, but really for all the wrong reasons. I worshiped a God that I didn't know. I was talking earlier about seeking him and trying to find out who he is and looking for wisdom. I didn't do any of those things. I might catch a glimpse of God occasionally in something somebody said, but I sure wasn't searching for him. God is diligent and God, excuse me, God responds to the diligent. If you seek him, he will reveal himself to you. But only, only if you're diligent, only if you do those things. So I ask you, do you know the God that you claim to worship? And only you guys can answer that. But I would challenge you, if you ask yourself that question, and you don't like the answer, God is always available. He's always available. Therefore, the rest of that verse, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. And I want to, that word there is important. Words are important, right? That word there, that word, worship, means to act piously or reverently. Right? It's, it's again, it's a work. So they're worshiping, they're working, they're doing a duty, right? They seem like they're doing the right thing. And if you think about the Old Testament, think about the Jews. They were the, they were the best at this. They were the most religious. They could recite all the scriptures. They did all the right things, all the reverent things. They worshiped, right? And yet they missed the Messiah and they missed the Lord. And words are important, guys. Words are important to understand what they mean. And Paul's going to tell them who this God is. They don't know who they're worshiping, so he's going to proclaim it to them. God who made the world and everything in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. There's a verse in John 4, I think it's 421, and it talks about the fact that and this is Jesus talking. He said there's an hour coming where men will not worship on mountains or in Jerusalem. And, and the meaning behind that is that there would come a point in time where it doesn't matter where we worship. 
like the example earlier, it doesn't matter whether I'm on a rooftop. It doesn't matter whether I'm having a conversation on a job site. Worship is all about honoring the Lord. That's what it is. Nor is he worship, verse 25, nor is he worship with men's hands as though he needed anything. Again, God doesn't need you to validate who he is. Since he gives to all life, breath, and all things, and he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings, God's in control. He's made all things. None of us can stand before a Lord one day and say, well, Lord, I didn't know you. I didn't know, I didn't know you existed. God, you can take a step outside and, and look tomorrow and without a shadow of a doubt, God exists. There'll be no excuses. He, he reveals himself to us, and he even reveals himself to us by what's, what he lays on our hearts. I know I'm a sinner. Nobody has to tell me. Nobody has to tell me that I have failed. And I love this verse. Why does he do all these things? Verse 27 is the key. And this really is worship. So that they should seek the Lord and hope that they might grope for him and find him. Though he is not far from each one of us, God is always right there. He's there for those of us who've been walking with him forever and he's there for for any of you who are sitting in here who don't have a clue who he is, all you would have to do is ask, and he would make himself available to you. And jump on down to 32. And this is the reality. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked while others said, we will hear you again on this matter. So the response to the gospel, more often than not, is mocking and disbelief. And the other option there is saying, well... That sounds kind of maybe like something I'd be interested in. Maybe I'd, maybe I'd like to hear that again. And I guess that's a good thing, but remember, there's no guarantee for tomorrow. You may not have another option or another opportunity. However, some joined him and believed. That's the power of the gospel. That's the power of the word that you hold in your hand. It really changed his lives. Not only does it save, but it changes who you are. I want to look at one more section of the Bible. If you would, turn to John chapter 9. 
And I want to read this whole story, so please bear with me. You guys have been patient and respectful. I, I appreciate that. I think we've all heard this story, or a lot of us have. Christ heals the blind man is, is the caption. But let's look at this, and we'll, we'll hit on some high points here. It says, now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So here's this blind guy who's been blind all his life, and his disciples look at Jesus and they say, what's this guy done? Right? Obviously, he's done something if he's blind. Jesus answered, verse 3, neither this man nor his parents sinned but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I think that's interesting. If you have a hardship, this guy's been blind all his life, and Jesus' answer as to why he's been blind is so that God can show his glory through it. If you're struggling with something, God will show his glory through it. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming. When no one can work, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Verse 6, when he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And this one's always got me, right? Why did he spit, make a patty cake, and jam it in his eyes? It doesn't make any sense, right? In fact, in, in fact, sorry, I got distracted. Um, God does things that don't make any sense. And he, and he heals people and he does things in the most illogical way because he's God. I think that's the point of that. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and, and came back seeing. Therefore the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, is not this he who sat and begged? Some said, this is, is he? Others said, he is like him. So these people are like, well, who's this guy? This can't be the blind guy. He's been sitting at the gate begging all his life. This Certainly, this has got to be somebody maybe that looks like him. This isn't he. But the blind guy says, he says, I am he. Therefore, they said to him, how were your eyes opened? And he answered and said, a man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received sight. Then they said to him, where is he? He said, I don't know. So they brought him, who was formerly blind, to the Pharisees. Now it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put clay in my eyes, and I washed, and I see. I don't know. Can you imagine? Can you see the scene? I don't know. I was blind, 
This guy put clay in my eyes, and now I could see. Verse 16, therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. And every time I read this, I'm just like, are you kidding me? This guy just, Jesus just healed a man who'd been blind all his life, and these guys are upset because he did it on the wrong day. That's religion. That's a great example of works. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. They said to the blind man again, what do you say about him? Because he opened your eyes. He said, he's a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. And they asked them, saying, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? And his parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son. I'm sure some of your parents are like, Well, I don't know. What do you do? We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but by what means he now sees we do not know or who opened his eyes we do not know. He is of age. Ask him. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. These are the biggest fools in the story. Their son, who had been blind all his life, was just healed, and they're worried about the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Oh, no. That's religion. That's religion as opposed to a relationship with Jesus. Therefore, his parents said, he of his age, he is of age, ask him. Verse 24, so they again called the man who was blind and said to him, give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. Speaking of Jesus, he answered and said, whether he is a sinner or not, I, I don't know. One thing I know that though I was blind, now I see. Again, can you see him getting agitated? Then they said to him again, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? I hint some sarcasm there, possibly. Then they reviled him and said, You are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciple. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, can you guys imagine calling God fellow? As for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. And I love this response. Verse 30, The man answered and said to them, Why, this is a marvelous thing. And that word there literally means passing human comprehension. This guy's like, these people, 
they don't get it. I, I can't even understand how they don't understand. This is a marvelous thing that you do not know where he is from, yet he has opened my eyes. Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who has been born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And this is what Christ does. He takes a beggar. He takes the lowest in humanity. And he schools and educates the proud and the pious. He takes the weak and he changes people's lives by using them. Listen to their response. They answered and said to him, "You were completely born. You were completely born in sins. And are you teaching us? Who are you?" And they cast him out. And I'm sure that I'm, I'm sure the blind man sitting there thinking, "But I was blind, and now I can see." How how did they not understand and see that this? is God. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when he had found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? And he answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. That is a different word, worship, right there. That word is like the words that I read at the very beginning. And it means to fall on the knees, to do homage, to express respect, the expression of profound reverence. Why do we worship? Well, this is why we worship. We realize who God is and what he's done for us. Lord, I was blind and now I see. It doesn't matter what everybody else says. It doesn't matter what the religious people says. All I know is I was blind and now I see. That's where worship comes from. Worship originates in the heart out of out of a belief in who God is and what he does. It can't be taught. I can't sit up here and teach you guys how to worship. It can only be, worship can only happen through a believer because only a believer can truly believe that God is who he says he is. I don't love the Lord and follow the Lord so he'll love me. He already does. I love the Lord and follow the Lord and obey the Lord because he does love me. I was blind and now I see. That's why we worship.
Again, I pray that you will reflect on those things and think about those things. If you are a believer, if you have given your life to the Lord, spend time with Him. Act like it. Obedience, loyalty, praise, honor, worship, thanksgiving. And it should free, free flow out of you if you really understand who God is and what he's done for you. Let's pray. Father God, you are awesome. And we don't need to tell you that. You are. God, I just thank you for loving us so much, Lord. I thank you for your patience and your long-suffering with us, Lord, as we are such fools. I thank you for each of these young people and the old people here, Lord. I pray that you would speak to them. I pray that their eyes would be opened. And if they are open, Lord, I pray that they would understand what you've done. And I pray that they would live lives, Lord, that would be reflective of that. God, you are so good and so wonderful to us. I pray that these young people understand that there is a possibility to know more about you this weekend. We are... Yes, we're going to have fun. Yes, it's going to be fun to drive the go-karts and play funny games and laugh with your friends. And all these things are awesome. But God, I just pray, Lord, that you would teach them who they are in you and that they would understand the promises of what you've promised them, of who they are in you. God, I just praise you for who you are. Lord, thank you for loving us. I pray that these young people would know how much you love them. God, just like always, Lord, teach us to love you more. Lord, teach us to worship you better. We just love you and thank you for this evening. We thank you for this weekend. And... Just thank you for the time and thank you for the way in which you pour into us. Amen. Amen.